Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, good morning and welcome to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop and with me in the studio are three people who share the passion for all things horticulture. So no doubt we'll have a wonderful morning yakking about what's going on in our worlds. And later in the show, we'll be chatting with author George Adams about his stunning book, Birdscaping Australian Gardens. And of course, after that, we'll be inviting you to call in with all your gardening questions or advice. But before I get too far ahead of myself, let me introduce our guests. Firstly, we have the gardening show's usual host, the wonderful Pam Vardy, who is hopefully not squirming too much, being on the other side of the panel, so to speak, while I learn the ropes. Uh, we also have CEO of the Horticulture Division at Diggers Club, Tim Sansom. Hey, Hey, and our favourite fruit tree guru, Graham Morrison. Good morning to you all. <laughs> good, good, good morning, morning AB. Uh, yes, it's a, uh, it's a pleasure to be in here again on such a lovely morning. I, last time I was in AB, I said, you know, it's too early to plant your cu- cu- cucumbers and tomatoes and what what, what not. But uh, I hadn't really, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 expected that our October would have been such a warm October. And indeed, some uh, of my, my tomato plants have self-seeded sort of thing. They're off and running. I, some cucumbers are really, really getting going now. And I think the cucumbers, so they did have a little bit of plastic early. Even my, my, my basil that I put in a bit of plastic over, discarded the plastic, and the, the, everything is off and running. So, uh, you know, those people out there, if they're waiting for the Cup Day benchmark to plant all this sort of gear, I reckon you can get in right now. Absolutely. <laughs> I have to say, I've put my tomatoes in uh, by now as well. They were in the yes, glass house yes. for quite a while and they are already starting to flower. So yeah. I really have got my fingers crossed. I'm going to have them yeah. before Christmas this oh, year, yeah. which yeah. will be I nice. I get that magic um, tomatoes for Christmas, which is the sort of <laughs> I know. It's such a benchmark, early. isn't it? <laughs> yes, it's a total benchmark. Yeah. And I just wonder also with the uh, drier weather conditions, because of course I think yes. we've only had two mil of the oh, expected... Unbelievable. 66 yeah, mil yeah. or something. I think, yeah, 66 mils are average for October. I think it's up to about eight now. We took a little, a little bit the other day. That's but true, ve- yeah. Very low indeed. Yeah. yeah. And Which, lots of yeah. hot winds too, I think, in that, that, yeah, that spell we had a couple yeah, of weeks true, ago. True, 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 uh, good customs out there to have a look at their watering systems, I think, sort of thing, and get, get, get those into place. Gone are the days when you had sprinklers that threw their water everywhere and willy, willy-nilly and uh, evaporation was everywhere. I was think, th- th- thinking about that yesterday. So we want to try and get the water into the soil where the, where, where, where the root, roots are. And certainly, you know, we're looking at El Nino. They're promising us bad, bad days in this this next next summer. Yeah, even yeah. even to the stage of uh, you know, get, get, get thinking about from water, water tanks. You know, that they might be able to store, store a bit of water. Uh, it's going to be a bit of a problem in the future. I got the feeling. Yeah, yeah, and I also think with the drier conditions, it might induce plants to flower that little bit earlier because they're under a bit of stress. Yeah, that's true. Yes, yeah, sure, could 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 well be. Yeah. But uh, no, you see the the effects even now in in, in my garden. Uh, you know, thing things have not 
very often do they have to be watered this time of the year, but they, they certainly need to water. Yes, yeah, it's yeah, probably so. a good time yeah. now to get out and give everything a real drenching. Yeah, that's true, it? sure. Yeah. And then if possible, get a bit of mulch over the top to try and retain some of the, the moisture that we put into the soil is a, a great idea as well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. How's your garden going, Pam? It's very dry, very yeah. dry. And um, yeah, you're right, yeah. Graham. Sure. Um, we yeah. really need some mulch um, yeah. before this yeah. really hot weather sets yeah. in. But people yeah. Yeah. really um, wait, uh, either drench yeah. your garden thoroughly or wait till we get one decent yeah. um, fall Ex- of rain yeah, exactly. and then do yeah, it yeah, in yeah, a hurry yeah, while yeah, that sure. soil yeah. is um, yeah, you, moist. You get a bit of a depth of watering there sort yes. of thing. You know, with the little bits we've had later, you go go out and scratch the soil as it dries a bone underneath dry, sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, 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 not to get any get And normally at this time of the year, you know, we're getting some spring rain. Sure, and, that, that, that's and, true. Yes, and yeah, our sure. operations yeah. in our gardens at Diggers will often be holding back, putting the mulch on at this time of the year because yeah. the rain's still going in. Yeah, true, true, true. And then we'll put yeah, the sure. thick layer of mulch on yeah, to lock it yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, what's sure. been abnormal this year is we've had all this warm weather and dry winds and the soils are drying out. Yeah. So yeah, there's, sure. a, there's a danger there that someone could go and put your, you know, your thick layer of organic mulch on the top and you're actually holding the moisture that could you're come out of the putting a barrier mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah, the poor old soil's yeah, getting yeah. nothing. It's dry yeah. and you're yeah. locking the dry in. Watering yes. the mulch instead. Yeah, sure. yes. yeah, yeah, so exactly. what do you do at Diggers? Are you quite scientific down there? Do you have lots of gauges and everything that everybody refers to? No. no. <laughs> you just go out I'd and stick your finger that. in the soil. I'd, yeah. I'd love to answer that. That scientific yes. finger. Yeah. We're all in lab coats <laughs> going around with goggles on and <laughs> probes. No, it's not quite like that. Well, we do have probes, yes, and they have fingers. And observation. And I think this is a thing. That um, is close to my heart, and I've talked about before. Is that when gardening, you can't be rote about things. You have to be a, you have to be obs- observing what's going on yeah. in a season. So, when you see um, that your sand, that your soil is really sandy and dry at this time of the year, then you know that the cues are don't just automatically mulch. Mm. Now is the time to actually apply some more water before you do that, or wait for a downfall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and we do get. I mean, there's some storms forecast today. There. You know, if you're watching out for these things, you see a big storm coming, you're actually lucky enough to get one, then that cues some action from there. Yeah, very, yeah. very good. Yeah. yeah, and you do have quite a few beds with um, dry-loving plants. Yes. I suppose they'd be thriving at the moment. Yeah, it's interesting. We've got, I mean, about probably 15 years ago, we did quite a lot of um, remodelling of the garden at Heronswood, and it informed uh, a lot of our plant selections mm-hmm. for, our, for our retail stores and our, and our mail-order catalogue. Uh, and that was when we were sort of in peak drought and this was a lot of the succulent kind of plants. Uh, we're reinvestigating that now, but we're looking at, a, um, I guess, a, a version of that which is a bit softer because there's often a perception that those gardens are quite spiky and uh, rigid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas we're looking at all the, all the what we call the one-drip plants that are a bit more soft and a bit more green so you can still have that evergreen, luxurious yeah, um, summer garden with with the same sort of water characteristics. Yeah, or we water want it all, don't we? Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah. So, what's yeah. the one drip? Well, okay. So we now, in our plant offers, we've been doing this since. Well, I think this was probably an innovation that Clive put through our catalogues in the eighties when we had the the droughts in the early eighties, mm. uh, which was to actually demarcate on the plant offer whether it was a one drip, a two drip, or a three drip. There mm-hmm. was a, a simple a symbol and a, and a um, description method. The one drip basically means once it's established, it does not need any additional water. So these are things that are quite drought hardy. Yeah. And we've probably got in our, in our summer catalogue range, in our autumn catalogue range, 60 to 70% of our plants fall into that category. 
Then you've got something which is a two-drip, which requires some seasonal watering, so a few episodes of watering across the season. Yeah. And then something that's, that's three-drip, which requires, we call it a thirsty plant, or something, which requires irrigation. And many of our food crops are in that category. Yeah, sure. So do you have much irrigation through the gardens? Yes, we do. Yeah. Yep. Um, at Heronswood in particular, we've got a, a, a water tank, which we collect all the water off the roof of the house, and we collect some some surface runoff as well. Yeah. Um, that runs through some filters, and that that's part of our irrigation system. Yeah. Uh, and at, uh, at St Earth, we're on the main system, but we also have a dam, and all those areas are irrigated. But they're irrigated in different parts of the garden in different, um, different regimes. So, for instance, at St Earth, we've got... Uh, a herbaceous border out the front of the old cottage, yep. and that gets significantly more water than um, probably three quarters of the garden, which are basically getting very little water. They're probably what I would call between one and two drip. Yeah, uh, well, that's clever, keeping the irrigated area closer to the house. Where it's yeah, look, it's it's better for management, and it's better for how you how the plants survive, really. So, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. And Graham, with your mm. fruit trees, sure. are you um, do you irrigate, or are they really well established, and you you don't need supplementary? I know they do do need irrigation for sure, just depending so much on the season, of course. And yeah, Melbourne, we've got such a variety of seasons; you never know what, what what's going to hit hit you really. Yeah, but uh, I've Got, uh, what have I got? 20,000 20, litres ta- 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 water tank capacity there now. So uh, that's, uh, I, I c- c- certainly use that. I, I put probably because I've got a bit more time now, I'm re- re- retired, AB, I tend to uh, do that by hand, hand you know, to, got, got hoses from, the, from my, my tanks and, uh, and water when, when, when required. I've uh, been away a little bit. I get my brother to do a bit of that while while, while, while I'm away. I just uh, you're talking about the scientific bit uh, uh, in yesterday's age. They're talking about uh, the cell Nino setting in and uh, maybe starting up our desalination plant, plant again and all that, that, that gear. And they're saying that in research in I think it's Oxford in, in, in England, they've isolated the gene that they can implant or put into to, to plants. It's a, a it's a, it's a bit frightening, I suppose, but uh, to uh, slow down photosynthesis in, 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 in the actual plants, which means that they're not using as much water. They were mentioning in our, our gum trees and different, uh, you, know, you know, some some of our big trees, they you know hundreds of litres mm, a day. They'll sort of it's, 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 well, it's amazing yeah. the, what, what the big trees, look. but for, for fruit trees, not as much as that, of, of course, but. Uh, somewhere down the, the down the line, you know, for particularly for developing arid areas in our world for f- fruit production or food food production, they're endeavouring to get this gene going that will slow down the rate of photosynthesis and and uh, certainly f- slow down the uh, the uh, amount of water that the plants are requiring. Mm, it's incredible what they yeah, can do, and yeah, be interesting yeah, to see yeah, how sure. it plays out over the next yeah, decade. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we should probably get to a few community announcements because we've got quite a few to get through, given that it is spring and everything's bursting. Uh, So, first of all, today we have the Royal Botanic Gardens, both Melbourne and Cranbourne, have got their spring plant sale on. At uh, the Melbourne Gardens, it's uh, via Gate E, Birdwood Avenue. Um, and that is from 10 till 3, and the Cranbourne sale goes from 10 till 4. 
Um, just jumping ahead because it's on the same flyer. We've got the Australian Pelagonium and Geranium Society annual spring show at the Belfield Community Centre, Banksia Street, Ivanhoe, and that's on the 31st to the 1st of 31st of October and the 1st of November. Okay, back to today. Um, there's a few open gardens. We've got Sarah Guest's Garden, which is at 24 Jollymont Terrace in East Melbourne. And that's open today from 10 till 4.30. Entry is $8 and children under 18 free. And the garden is by renowned um, garden and plants author Sarah Guest. Um, and the uh, the gardens opposite Yarra Park and the MCG first opened with the Victoria Garden Scheme in 1987. Um, it's a small garden, but she's uh, made very clever use of um, a large shady area and she's got espaliered camellias and, and all sorts of things. So um, that would be a nice one to visit if, you, if you've got a small garden and want to get some tips and tricks there. Uh, okay, the Von Bibra Garden is at 43 Cardigan Place in Albert Park and that's open from 10 till 4.30. Entry price is $8, children under 18 free. This is an English-style garden planted for year-round interest with recent changes reflecting the need to conceal surrounding buildings. The traditional front garden features trees, camellias, azaleas, rhododendrons and shrubs. At the back, a central lawn is surrounded by roses, salvias, dahlias and perennials. And a pair of malus loensis provide an attractive backdrop. Um, There's also a talk and Q&A at 11 o'clock by Murray Jones, who's a uh, garden designer and gardener. Okay, a little bit further afield, um, the Alexandra and District Open Gardens have got their 25th anniversary Open Garden uh, which was yesterday and today. Uh, now, that's it's from 10am till last entry is at 4pm. Um, and tickets are available at each garden gate. It's uh, for, There's 14 country and township gardens, plant sales, veggie seedling sales, music, food and entertainment. Um, and if you go to this uh, following website, you'll be able to get more information. It's uh, www.alexandraopengardens.com.au and um, there'll also be a map available there that you can download uh, to take with you. Um, we have the Ivanhoe Gardening Festa. Uh, it's free entry and it's at the Belfield Community Centre. Uh, there's sales of plants, seeds and seedlings, homemade preserve, crafts and cards, Devonshire teas. Um, there's talks and demonstrations about building a wicking bed, um, looking after backyard chooks, uh, composting, beekeeping, uh, growing Asian greens, uh, talks on bromeliads and bonsai and demonstrations of gardening tools and children's activities. Um, uh, for details on that, you can contact Julie on 94994659. And in conjunction with that, uh, the Belfield Community Garden is having their official opening. That's on the corner of Banksia Street and Oriel Road in Belfield. Um, everyone's welcome. And um, for further details on that, you can call Paul on 94409247. Um, Okay, and so for the 
Cup Weekend, October 31st to November 1st, November the 3rd. Uh, we've got the Inspired Gardens of Gippsland from 10am to 4pm. There are nine gardens open in Niram South, Jindafik and Jambana. Entry is Entry for five of the gardens is $7.50 and for the other four it's $10 each. Um, for further information you can email Leslie, now spell this out, L-E-S-L-E-Y-J-2-2-1 at gmail.com and there is a little flyer which I'm sure she'd be able to forward to you and it's got um, all the gardens listed, a bit about them and a map of uh, where to go. Um, okay, I think, uh, Pam, are you, you have a garden there? Yes, yes, I've got a couple of announcements. Just a reminder to listeners that uh, Gardevalia is still up and running. This is a festival of gardens that opens annually every October. It runs for the full month of October. It's on again in full uh, swing at the moment, and there is just so many events and open gardens, workshops all running in conjunction with this festival Um, The easiest way for you to peruse what is open for this weekend or for next weekend is to go to their website www.gardevalia.com.au and Gardevalia is spelt G-A-R-D-I-V-A-L-I-A. So that's www.gardevalia.com.au. Now also our good friends at Open Gardens Victoria have got a fantastic garden opening up next weekend, which, of course, is the Cup Weekend. Uh, This is a property called Terilta, and it's uh, situated in Vaughan, V-A-U-G-H-A-N, which is very close to Castlemaine. So uh, only about an hour's drive from Melbourne. Now, it's a beautiful country property. It's nestled in a bend of the Loddon River, and very much drawing on the borrowed landscape with uh, huge eucalypts along the river. It's the first time it's opened. Uh, The owners have designed and maintained the garden themselves, complete with espaliers and stone walls, and it's a great example for other gardeners of just how much can be achieved without professional help. Now, uh, the details, the address is uh, Ball and Welch Lane in Vaughan, Uh, As I said, it's open next weekend, Saturday 31st, Sunday 1st of October, uh, 1st of November, I'm sorry, Uh, 10 till 4.30 on both days. Cost uh, for entry is $8. Children under 18 are free. And there's a student entry fee of $5. There'll be food, tea, coffee and refreshments. And again, for more information on this garden or on any of the other open gardens coming up under the auspices of Open Gardens Victoria, they have a website which is www.opengardensvictoria.org.au. And uh, once again, they have very kindly um, given us one free double pass to the first listener to phone in who'd like to go along to that property next weekend in Vaughan near Castlemaine. So if you like to give Liz a ring on the outside line, which is 94198377, and uh, she can get your details and that uh, free double pass will be sent to you. 
Um, I think you've got some too, Tim. I there. do. I hope everyone out there has got their pen and paper because it's incredibly busy in spring. Isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the couple I've got here are actually for those who are forward planners. Planners, because um, these I've got one here from the uh, friends of the, Batern- the Burnley Gardens. Uh, if for Tuesday the seventeenth of November, uh, they're inviting us to in- to join them for dinner at the Burnley Gardens and Friends, followed by a talk by botanist Lindsay Poor. Uh, Lindsay's a volunteer at the Herbarium at the uh, Royal Botanic Gardens in Melbourne and she's talking about wildflowers of the desert of Utah and Arizona. Uh, so if you're interested in that, it's uh, uh, at Burnley College uh, on Tuesday the 17th of November at 5.30pm for dinner in the gardens for a 7.30pm 7 th- talk. It's uh, $30 for members for the meal and talk, non-members are $45. Uh, and you can attend the talk only, which is $10 for members, and non-members is $20. Uh, to make bookings for that, uh, the phone number is 9035-6861, uh, and there's an email address, which is a.smith at unimelb.edu.au. Um, there is an additional uh, event being run by the Friends of Burnley Gardens. Uh, this one's a bit later in the year. Uh, this one's on Saturday the 5th of December, uh, and it's uh, Fit Fruit Trees into Vertical Spaces. This is a summer pruning workshop for, uh, for fruit trees in the Burnley Gardens, led by Chris England from Marywood Plants. Um, Chris is well known in the trade uh, as a exponent of the espalier technique in training fruit trees. Uh, so he'll be using the demonstration fruit trees in the orchard at the Burnley Gardens, where you'll learn summer pruning uh, for fruit trees and how to create fabulous espaliers, uh, summer, summer pruning gives you maximum fruit in a minimal space. Uh, and then under Chris's watchful eye, you'll get to have a go yourself. So this is something where you get to have a bit of a hands-on experience. So that's on Saturday the 5th of December at Burnley College, which is 500 Yarra Boulevard, Richmond. Uh, the meeting place is PSL 6, but I'll, you'll find that out if you, if you ring up and book. Uh, the time is at 10am to 1pm on Saturday the 5th, and it's $55 for members and $75 for non-members. The, the booking details are the same as the other event from, from the Burnley, um, the Friends of Burnley, uh, and that phone number is 9035-6861. And the, and the email address is a.smith.unimelb.edu.au. And there's a note here saying BYO clean and sharp secateurs, which are obviously essential for a pr- training workshop. Uh, and I have one more here uh, from the Yarra Valley uh, Bonsai Society having a special sale day and mini display. This is on Sunday the 22nd of November. So I dropped that one down in the diary. That's a way off yet, but the 22nd of November. And it's at the Japara Living and Learning, Learning Centre, which is at uh, 54 Durham Road, Kilsyth. Uh, the doors open at 10am and it's open till 1pm and it's $2 for buyers and visitors. A great selection of bonsai and bonsai-related items. Um, the Society is based in Mount Evelyn and caters for bonsai enthusiasts of all ages, experience and levels, uh, for the, from the curious gardener, gardener to the more advanced enthusiast. Uh, they have uh, with two meetings per month, the second Tuesday and last Saturday, as well as group trips, special workshops and beginner and intermediate bonsai courses throughout the year. There are plenty of opportunities to learn the art of bonsai and make new friends and have fun. Fantastic. Mm. To Tim, I think you've got a special uh, thing going up at your... Uh, did, 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 did you sing it over the weekend as well? Which I think AB was going to cover. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay, that's coming up. <laughs> Talking about bon, bonsai, it must be uh, people. I was uh, in uh, Japan 
recently and uh, went out to their bonsai farm, which many, many hundreds of these lovely bonsai plants there. And surprisingly how big they were, you know, probably a lot of them a a, a metre wide by half a metre tall and some of them over 100 years old. It was uh, such a, you know... fits into the Japanese culture where they train everything to the in, in, nth degree and uh, well, well done. Now another bonsai group here, Bonsai Northwest, is a non-profit uh, club situated in Essendon promoting bonsais in the northwest of Melbourne. We are holding our annual show over the week of uh, 7th and 8th of November uh, held at the Footscray Arts Centre, Moreland Street, Footscray, and is open between 10am and 4pm Saturday and Sunday. We will have a magnificent display of exotic and native bonsai, as well as a large-scale area selling trees, pots, soil, wire and tools for the public. Entry will be $5, children under 15 will be free, accompanied by an adult. And the last one there will be uh, the Australian Plant Society Keel uh, Plains Group. We'll meet on Friday, November 6th at 7.50pm. Peter Bloem, Secretary of the Victorian Carnivorous uh, Plant Society, will bring a display and talk about Australian carnivorous plants. The venue is the Uniting Church corner of Roberts Road and Glenis Avenue, Airport West. All welcome. Contact Annie on nine double three six three double two eight. I'll read that uh, telephone number again if you want. There nine double three six three double two eight. Fantastic. Oh, you are listening to the Three CR Gardening Show. My name is AB Bishop, and also in the studio are Pam Vardy, Tim Sanson from Diggers, and Graham Morrison of Fruit Tree Fame. Um, Tim, I possibly saved one of the best uh, gardens till last to talk about, yes. which is open today, and that's the Cloud Hill Spring Festival. Yes. Um, yep. So, are you heading up there afterwards? I'm not heading there today. No. You're not heading there today. I notice they've got uh, free garden tours, and Cloud Hill has been listed as one of the best 250 gardens in the world, which is pretty yeah, amazing, yeah, yeah, isn't it? Well, Jeremy's done a fantastic job with that garden. I mean, you know Jeremy well. He comes on this show yes. regularly. Um, it's it's a garden that has all seasons. Um, and it's a garden that nestled in, in the hills in Alinda. Um, we are so proud to be associated with that garden with Jeremy. So uh, And to have a festival weekend like this where we can celebrate it and bring people along uh, so they can enjoy the garden on a beautiful spring day, as well as uh, indulge themselves in all the all the the bounty of spring. We've got um, a terrific range of our heirloom tomato plants available there as seedlings. Um, we've got a whole range of perennials, fruit trees, as well as uh, as well as all all the garden bits and bobs that you can get in the in in the shop there. So it's a weekend where there's workshops, free workshops, um, lots of activities, lots of um, uh, stalls going on and uh, plenty of interest for both Diggers Club members and the public alike. Fantastic. And yeah. Diggers Club, you've taken over the nursery side of things up there, is that correct? That's right. So we have an arrangement with, with Jeremy where he, it's still his garden, he still yep. runs the garden. Yep. Um, we have, have a, an association with him where we uh, have an, a retail outlet there which allows us to run a little garden centre there. Yep. Uh, and so we can have all our Diggers products for, available for, for anyone that wants to come and buy them. Uh, but also it's, it's part of us, I guess, um, 
publicising and, and events like this weekend are a great example of bringing our our seventy five thousand members throughout the country into the knowledge of wonderful gardens like Cloud Hill. Yeah, and so, I guess there's also so many others in the Dandenongs to explore as yes. well, aren't there? You know, yeah. so I mean, you really could make a fantastic day. Of yeah, it up there. it's just oh, around yeah. the corner from the Rhododendron Garden. Yeah. Which sure. if, yeah. if this is prime Rhododendron time right now, I was up in the hills on Friday, and they're everywhere. So if you want to go and see a massive collection yeah. of Rhododendrons, they're just around the corner from Cloud Hill, and that would make a terrific. Yeah. Uh, com- combination. From, from my perspective, I could really recommend it. About two 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 weeks ago, AB, I, I went up and had a look at Cloud Hill. Yeah. And uh, golly, your, your nursery used to be commended on that. There's so much, uh, such a big range you've got there. Seeds, like you know, you look at your seeds ra- ra- racks there, and capsicums, for instance, you've probably got about twelve different varieties of cap- yes. capsicums, and it just just goes on. And I, I, of course, into the fruits fruit tree section, and they had little. Uh, 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 Grafted uh, apple trees, just just in not much more than a t- t- tube sort of thing, at a very reasonable price. I thought, you know, yes, which yeah. is you know for those people who are interested in that sort of thing and they don't want to spend me- me- mega bucks, they they you know a great range of different you know uh, heritage vari- varieties there as well. But you know, just not to make a day of it today was such a gorgeous day to go get, get up in those hills. I, 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 after the Going to the Cloud Cloud Hill Gardens, and just, I think the highlight of it was those couple of uh, uh, Japanese maples. Yes. I don't know how old they are. Used to, used to belong to old Woolrich's nursery, I think. Yes, that's it? right. We, 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 yeah. we back there, but then I went visited the, the National Rhododendron Garden as well, and the rhododendrons, azaleas, you know, by, 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 by the acre sort of thing, and just. Very pleasurable to be up there this time of the year. Absolutely. Yeah. And I guess I should give a bit of information on how to get there, seeing as though we've, um, we've talked it, it up so, so much. much. Yeah. Yeah. So that's okay. Cloud Hill Gardens, <laughs> and it's 89 Alinda Monbolk Road in Alinda. Uh, if you want more information, you can call 97510584. Um, and so, yeah, the festival runs from 9 till 5. Entry is free for Diggers Club members and for children under 16 and other visitors. It's $10. So there is a lot going on, as Tim mentioned. There's um, um, peonies on display. Um, expert peony grower Ronnie Bokel showcases stunning garden plants in the Diggers Nursery and will be on hand to answer questions about growing and caring for peonies. Um, there's, As you mentioned, Tim, there's free gardening workshops um, at 11.30. There's seeds to sow in the hills. 12.30 p.m., give bees a chance. 2.30 p.m., all about growing tomatoes. Uh, there's local produce stalls, um, the Ridge Estate Olives and Oil, Springview Farm Preserves, Bookachook and Patchwork Honey will be selling their wares there as well so um, it sounds like a fantastic day and all in the setting of uh, quite an incredible garden so um, yeah it should, should be a, should be a good day so um, there's plenty to do out there absolutely talking about although I butt in here AB but talking about apple varieties there's a new apple that's come out on those Hard to say whether they'll still be available this year. Probably next year might be more, 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 more realistic. But it's called Monty's Surprise, mm-hmm. uh, and it's got so, so, so much credit to it. Uh, some of the highest flavoroids and antioxidants 
le- levels of any apple. They've, they've tested, I think it's a, there's a group called French National Institute for Health and Med- Med- Medicine, and they've, they've tested, COSRAO have t- tested, and they s- seem to think that it's got you know, a, a, a big p- potential for preventing the proliferation of can- can- cancer cells. And uh, it's, it's way above... All, all the, I think they tested two to two hundred varieties to, to, to him of this uh, the, the, of apples, and this was way above uh, uh, other apples. I've, I've got one growing in my place, just planted planted in the in the winter time, and it's kicking away. So mm. I'll, it sounds like a very talk about you know uh, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. This has got the goods in it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And um, so, you know, just talking about fruit trees, I suppose, um, I've got a dwarf fruit tree, which is, you know, probably about three metres high now. So it's, it's obviously in the right spot, a dwarf apple. apple. And, yep. Um, yep. But one thing I was very pleased to know yeah. that you were coming in, Graham, because sure. I have an apricot tree and yes. it's probably been in, I don't know, maybe six, seven years now yes, and yes, it yes. is just yeah. not fruiting. I feel like I'm doing everything right. Yeah. I'm wondering if I've got an ornamental variety yeah, to say the sure. truth. But yeah. Yes, that's a bit just strange that, uh, I mean, uh, they're, they're certainly self-pollinating and they don't require a, a, a mate at all. Uh, when the flowers are there, if, if, if you you haven't seen flowers or oh, pl- flowers, yeah, it's had pl- masses pl- pl- of flowers. And it, you know, we've had you know maybe two yeah, or three fruit, but very yeah, poor quality right, fruit, yes, and it's certainly yeah, not right. edible. Yeah, okay. Um, but and we've got yeah. bees in the garden, yeah, so sure, not sure, 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 sure. The uh, the flowers themselves are they they're not double flowers. Like if if, if it's a flowering apricot, you've you, you've got a, a a double flower with you know many, many petals sort of thing. But uh, the other the other thing with apricots, I think some people get in and prune them too heavily. If you you, you let them have their head for a year and don't prune them virtually at all, and you yeah. might find that it, it, it come, come, comes into bearing for you. Yeah. All right, well, yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. give that a try then. Yep. Okay, well, I'm delighted to say that uh, online from Sydney we have George Adams. Now, George is a writer landscape designer, wildlife artist, photographer and architect and his lifelong interest in natural science and conservation led him to develop the concept of landscaping gardens with natural wildlife as an integral part of the design. Now this has culminated in a book that's just been recently released by Penguin Random House called Birdscaping Australian Gardens. Good morning George. Good morning. Fantastic book. It's it's such a comprehensive reference and uh, it's full of the most wonderful photos and uh, some I know you've taken and, and you've also uh, done a lot of sketching in the book. So uh, it's just pictorially a delight to, to pick up and have a look through. Oh, thanks very much. Now, the book is based around the fact that you mention um, the fact that native birds have a symbiotic relationship with native plants. Would you like to expand on that a bit for our listeners? Yeah, sure. In Australia, we've developed a, a group of pollinators, which are totally different to the rest of the world. And these are honey eaters. Um, they're a very Australian bird. And their role in the garden and in nature generally is to pollinate our native plants. The, a lot of the plants, if you think of the grevillea, which is a classic, they have uh, the parts of the plant so that when the bird's feeding on nectar in the plant, he's being tapped on the forehead with pollen, and um, then he flies off to the next tree. 
see lorikeets, you see a bobble brush. And if you watch lorikeets feeding on nectar, they feed on nectar and pollen on bobble brush. Well, they're, they're acting like feather dusters. They climb, you'll watch them, and they won't leave a tree till all, every, every blossom's been, uh, been visited, or most of the blossoms. Mm-hmm. And while they're climbing through the tree, and they, they have little tongues, and they take the, they're like kittens to watch feeding. They have a little brush tip tongue, which they lap the uh, nectar up out of the flower. <laughs> but while they're doing that, they're getting pollen all over their feathers, and, and they fly off to another bottle brush and uh, cross-pollinate it. So I guess that's, in a, that's it in a nutshell. I mean, um, the birds have evolved their colours and their features uh, for camouflage, you know, for, for nesting. You know, the way females are duller colour than males, so they camouflage with the foliage they prefer to nest in. Mm. Mm. So you've taken this concept... Uh, <clears throat> uh, 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 a, a step further, well, a, a big step further, to actually think about um, what we plant in our gardens, the landscaping of our gardens, to try and provide <clears throat> all the basic needs of of uh, native birds uh, within the garden. So that um, that means things like um, not just providing water for them, but providing food all round. And, and as you mentioned, um, you've got to take into account that you have... Um, Different uh, different birds with different feeding needs, like nectar feeding, fruit feeding, insect uh, eating, and seed eating. So you've taken all of that very comprehensively into account, so that the garden should provide for each one of those uh, families of birds. Yeah, well, the beautiful thing about birds is you can have quite a big variety in quite a small garden. Um, the birds don't fight each other like us or blow each other up. They they <laughs> they all have a preferred level of vegetation which they they uh, they utilise. So that in a small garden or a large garden, for that matter, you should ca- to cater for a big variety of birds. Uh, you should have um, different layers of vegetation in the garden because birds like finches and uh, blue wrens, scrub wrens, they all hop around the ground and feed on the undergrowth. They find, find insects and worms in the uh, the ground level <clears throat> so that's where you have grasses and ground covers <clears throat> excuse me then the next level up will you get uh, you'll get other birds um, the, the other wrens and partloads and things that uh, feed on the vegetation so in a proper garden in a good garden with a lot of birds you need that ground layer you need a mid-story uh, shrub layer and then you need the canopy over the top of the larger trees. But I noticed you say that, that this this um, can be created even for someone who's only got um, uh, a patio, you know, or, or a, a balcony garden even. And, and you mentioned the, um, particularly uh, the use of vines and yeah. how, how, how useful that is for attracting birds in. Well, part of the reason I wrote the book was that with uh, all the development going on in urban areas, there's not much ground left for, uh, for landscaping. There's hardly any room, really. From, from, you know, when I was a kid, everybody had a big backyard with a few big trees down the back. Now a lot of people live in apartments or, you know, uh, land sizes are about a quarter of what they were when we were kids. So the idea of the book was that some plants are much more much more uh, capable of providing food and shelter and what have you. So we 
flowers six months of the year, and it's it's got beautiful red flowers, and it's got masses of uh, food for honey eaters and, and parrots and things. So, you know, whereas before we might have a mixture of trees, and it didn't matter that much how long they flowered for. These days, in urban areas, we have to sort of get the most efficient plants to provide the, the biggest bang. So, um, the, the 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 trees and shrubs that I've selected are the really efficient ones that give great shelter, good nesting sites, and long flowering periods. Mm. But they're also beautiful trees. They're beautiful plants. They're, they're just absolutely stunning flowers and, and foliage. George, it's AB here. I was just wondering, how long did you did you work on the book for? Because it's so concise and it's there's just so much information packed into it. Well, um, a much slimmer volume actually came out in 1980, mm-hmm. would you believe it? And this is it's just sort of evolved as, as um, my knowledge has got greater and uh, photographic skills, skills have become better and I've been fortunate to have friends that take uh, beautiful photographs that are in the book. Some mag- magnificent plates there, I can see that. Yeah, they're beautiful. Oh, and even yeah. from a garden design perspective, the book is magnificent because you've got some incredible gardens in there. Yeah, they are beautiful gardens, and a lot of them are down around Melbourne. Um, you know, you see a few from Portsea and places like that. Yes. But, but mm. a lot of them are just backyard, small backyard gardens. Mm. Now, the, uh, the other thing that um, I really liked was your inclusion of... Um, thinking beyond the the, the borders of, of your own garden and uh, giving some attention to street planting because this, of course, is is where um, councils can also provide um, shelter and food for for birds, attracting birds into our suburbs. Well, exactly. As as we as we take up all the land for, for housing and uh, development, uh, the, the birds have to move around. Small birds won't move in the open because they'll get knocked off by. By predator birds, and uh, the way the way a lot of our street trees are, we've got eucalypts or tall trees, but no understory. And um, councils, you know, and we have to start thinking about the understory plants on on footpaths and things because um, they're gone from where they used to be. So birds, small birds, to move around, they need this um, understory cover, and uh, that way we we provide corridors that link up green spaces in cities and towns and um, the small birds can move to from parkland to, to different parts of the city without uh, just becoming locally extinct because there's, uh, there's no protection for them. Mm. We're talking with uh, George Adams about uh, the newly released book Birdscaping Australian Gardens. Now, George, a big uh, chunk of the book is devoted to, firstly, um, a plant directory. Now, this is incredibly comprehensive. It's um, alphabetically listed by botanic name. Um, You cover things like distribution, bird life, description, cultivation, uh, also with um, wonderful photographs for each plant. Um, and it really does give some amazing information that that's, must have taken you years and years to collate. Well, well, it has, actually. It's been a, a lifelong project, I guess. Mm. Mm. Um, the, the thing is that the photographs of the plants, a lot of them have birds on the plant, partly to give a, an idea of scale, but also to show the, the symbiotic relationship between the plant and the bird. Mm. Now, without native plants, we don't have native birds, and uh, without the 
the birds, the native plants won't survive because they rely on them for cleaning up insects and uh, and and uh, pollination and that sort of thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so they're not just pollinating; they're also um, they're they're eating the insects. Um, so preventing um, damage and disease to the plants. Um, yeah. So they really are performing a fantastic function. Well, they are. We actually relied on them in colonial days. There mm. weren't any uh, you know, sprays with poison in them to kill insects. No, right. And farmers had to rely on birds to clean the insects up, and uh, that's what they did. Mm-hmm. We used to find at the, at the Garden of St Earth when I was working up there, and I'm sure it still happens, but I'm not there at the moment, um, in the middle of a forest environment, we also had lots of um, bird-attracting plants, both native and exotic, actually. Um, but we had an orchard that we never saw coddling moth in because there was, there was no chance that the larvae would ever get anywhere <laughs> right. because yeah. there was so much bird life. That wasn't up near Gosford, was it? No, this is uh, in north of Melbourne in Blackwood. Oh, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know a grand old man in, up, up north of Gosford on the mid-coast of New South Wales, and he had a citrus farm. Never, never used to any poison at all on it. He used uh, what he did was he made a checkerboard of uh, about three or four metre wide uh, strips of native vegetation, and he, he had like individual plots of citrus in between those. Yeah, you'd see the little birds come out from the natural foliage and clean up the trees, and yeah. it was quite beautiful. Actually. Yeah, mm. things like scale have get into those. Mm. I should imagine. Yes, yeah. yeah he, very... he ended up with the most productive farm on the central coast, actually. Yeah, there mm. you go. Very good. Now, now the, the, the next major part of the book, um, George, is the bird directory. So firstly, you cover the, all the plants very comprehensively. And then you've got a, a full alphabetical list of the birds in the bird directory. And these are all accompanied not only with photos, but some of your wonderful sketches. And it really gives uh, the reader an insight into the bird because it goes through their habitat, their feeding habits, their breeding behaviour and nesting, so you get to see exactly which plants they want. You list plants for food and shelter to include for that particular bird. So um, if people um, are craving, for instance, to get uh, you know a crested pigeon into their garden, um, there it is immediately for them um, because there's a list of which plants they can think about incorporating into their garden to help encourage them in. Yeah, well, that's... Part of the reason I did that was that if you're going to attract these birds into your garden, you get much more entertainment from them if you know a bit about their life history and just some of the fascinating uh, things they, they're doing in front of you, if you're aware of it. Um, but, you know, things like rosellas, the eastern rosella they've found ha- has almost a vocabulary of its own. It has 26 mm. different calls. It's mm. totally different. Wow. Yes. I, we, I have them at my house and often I'm like, what is... What was that sound? Yeah, what is it? And I'm searching, searching for, oh, it's you again. <laughs> yeah, well, it's part, of, part of the enjoyment of birdscaping in your garden is um, if you know a bit about the bird and you watch it in your garden, you can understand a lot more about it and it sort of just it drags you in, actually. It, makes, it just becomes family entertainment just to see them. Sure. Little things like the finches, the red-browed finch and all of the finches, all... All of the parrots, the cockatoos and rosellas, they all pair for life, which uh, a lot of people find is astounding. They, even uh, finches, you might get a hundred finches on your lawn, but if you watch closely, you'll see pairs within that hundred group that always stick together, and uh, when they breed, they, they, they fly off and get their own little territory, and 
very fascinating. It's um, different ways that they court and, and just the whole structure. Like finches are almost like humans. They they nest fairly close together and they actually visit each other on the nest and they chatter away like Actually, George, that makes me think of the chuffs. So we've got chuffs in, in, oh, around my area and they're yeah. so social. I mean, all, all of the aunties and uncles feed the young when they're exactly, out of the nest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. They're real family groups that stick together all the time. Now, George, um, one of the... Uh, uh, other sections in the book, which I think is incredibly useful for any gardener, is uh, the plant tables. Now, um, these, again, are incredibly comprehensive. You cover things like um, not only what position the plants like, but things like whether they attract butterflies, whether they're food trees for koalas, whether they have showy flowers, whether they're a nesting plant, etc., and you've divided them up into uh, under headings of, for instance, plants for nectar feeding birds, plants for fruit eating birds. It really is a, a fantastic resource for um, any gardener or any naturalist who wants to start attracting more more birds to have it right there in front of them, a full table. How big the plant's going to be, when it's going to come into flower, what colour the flowers are going to be. Absolutely fantastic resource. Yeah, the the reason. The idea behind the tables is that, and the beautiful thing is that a lot of these birds will actually live in an average-sized garden if, if you provide the right habitat and, and a constant supply of food. So you can look up the tables and you can actually have, uh, say, nectar-bearing plants 12 months of the year. So you, you select from the table and you'll find one, one flower might be there from January, say, to March, and then you find another one that overlaps. And so right through the year, you can provide nectar for honey eaters, and they just become part of your garden. Um, same with seed eaters, with parrots and, and um, coals and a few things like that, feed on fruits. Um, and then the insect eaters, some plants are better for insects than others. So, and then with nesting, with nesting plants, there's a whole section on nesting plants, and they're for the small birds. People are always telling me the small birds have disappeared. Where are they? You know, they've left the city. Well, they probably have. They've probably become locally extinct because we don't provide enough sheltered corridors for them to move around and think up larger areas of parkland and what have you. And councils, for some reason, just have kikia grass on their nature strips instead of um, understory planting and decent canopy trees. So I always say it's about time council put nature back into the nature strips. There's a good photograph in the book. It's actually taken a Vaucluse in Sydney. Right. The footpath with just the right number of plants. It's fabulous. You can see a jogger in the distance coming up the path. So, yeah. Um, So the idea of the tables is so that you can have these beautiful birds year-round and uh, you can watch their antics and listen to their beautiful song and... uh, and have a beautiful, wonderful garden at the same time. Well, you shouldn't have to use pesticides because no. birds are the most efficient destroyers of insects. Yes. George, because um, you're not only um, a landscape designer but you're also an architect, do you ever get the the joy of actually combining those two skills and, 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 and designing a whole house and garden as one package? I do. Um, in the, I have... You know, I've, in the past, I've designed buildings around the trees on the site rather than bulldozing and then 
you know, trying to design something. If there's a tree that's important, a major tree, I I plot it, and I've been in arguments with um, a lot of surveyors over doing this. They they thought I was bonkers. At yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, but if you can retain the trees and still produce a beautiful house, um, uh, yeah. Sometimes, well, I've had feedback from clients where well, we did one particular. It was actually a block of units in you know not a posh area of Sydney, but we kept these trees in a courtyard and um, the different levels in the apartment block looked straight into the tree and, and people could watch silver eyes and thorn bills and partloads and people that didn't know much about birds at the time and uh, they fell in love with the whole concept. You know, right. mm. Very good, yeah. yes. I think it's the way of the future, George. Oh, I hope so. It's about time because we've done enough damage, haven't we? We certainly have. There's not much left. <laughs> yes, to make the best of it. exactly. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us this morning. I do congratulate you on the book. It's, as I said, it's just a fantastic um, reference book uh, and resource for anybody who's at all interested in trying to encourage more um, more birds into their garden and to uh, to try and uh, and. Think about um, things like food sources, shelter, all the things that will give you not only a wonderful garden all year round, but bring in those birds um, and provide them with, with everything they need. So I do, I do congratulate you on that. And thanks very much this morning. Thank you very much. Okay. Mm. Bye. Bye-bye. We've been talking with... Can I, uh, sorry, can yes, I, can I sure, just chime Tim. in just, uh, with something that's, I think, relevant to George's book is that I don't know if people are aware that there's actually an Aussie backyard bird count going on. It's like a bird census on right now. Okay. Which finishes today. All right. Uh, it's been... The, I think the count's been running for a week uh, and it, they're encouraging... I'm, I'm not sure who, who's running it, uh, but there is a phone app and there is a website uh, and I have the app on my phone. Uh, I did a 20-minute session in in the backyard the other day that they give you a timed session and you write in in your and you enter into the the checklist how many birds you see in your backyard that goes to a central database right and there's a, a census of all the birds in backyards across australia which i think is a wonderful sort of snapshot so this is right across australia yes. not just victoria just right across australia if wow. people are interested look up aussie aussie backyard bird count um, unfortunately, you've only got 15 hours and 37 minutes, according to my app. That's how, how long you've got left to submit your 20 that, minutes. That, that'll fit in a few 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, I just thought I'd get that in because I thought it was relevant. Yeah, Absolutely, very, good. very relevant. S- yes. Yeah. I, I should uh, just repeat for listeners, firstly, that we were just speaking there with George Adams. Uh, the name of his book is Birdscaping Australian Gardens, Using Native Plants to Attract Birds to Your Garden. Now, it's published uh, by Penguin Random House Australia. The uh, recommended retail price is fifty nine ninety nine. Um, it is available now. It's in uh, solid hardcover, 357 pages, absolutely full of the most wonderful information, photos, sketches. It really is a delight to look at. And um, I'm very happy to say that um, Penguin Random House have given us one copy. Um, Now, this is for a supported segment to support 3CR and The Gardening Show. If any one of our listeners out there would like to uh, jump on the phone and grab a copy of this book, um, we are offering it for the... uh, for the recommended retail price, so it's $60. If 
You can collect that from uh, 3CR during the week, during office hours, or if you'd like it to have it posted to you, um, if you add an extra $10 onto that, and, uh, and uh, for $70 you can have this wonderful book posted out to you. But if you're at all interested in uh, grabbing this copy and supporting 3CR, do give Liz a call um, on the outside line now, and that number is 94198377. That's 94198377. Fantastic. Well, look, uh, you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's A.B. Bishop, and with me in the studio are Pam Vardy, Tim Sansom from Diggers, and Graham Morrison. It's finally time to open our line for callers who have... <laughs> Um, hopefully been waiting by their phones in anticipation. So if you've got a gardening question or fancy a quick chat about what's going on in your garden, uh, we'd love to hear from you. So the number to speak to us on air is 94190155. That's 94190155. Or if you'd prefer not to be on air, give Liz a call on the outside line, and that number is 9419 Eight three double seven, Graham. I believe we have already had a query to you. Yes, that's uh, so. so Ob, uh, just uh, uh, reflecting on that b- book of George's. There, what a great man, sort of thing. And you know, you, the recommendation with all the writing that is there. Listening to that guy, who was so dedicated, he just mm. loves loves his field. His first book in nineteen eighty. He's been wrestling with for a long time, and oh, yes. so much experience. It's, a, it, it's it'll be a, a great read for people out there. Uh, I always think that symbiotic, symbiotic relationship between the bird and and the flower. It's you know. Evolution has worked it out very well. The flower, the flower says, "We've got a, lot, a nice little bit of nectar here for you. C- 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 come in and get that nectar, and all you need to do is pollinate my flowers." So it's just a nice little story, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, uh, baby, Meme rang up from Carnegie on the outside line there, and she has an apricot tree that uh, has limbs dying off it. Each, uh, each each year, cut cut them back, but it's sort of going back on her. And uh, I don't know, they, they talk about uh, verticillium wilt, which is a soil-borne uh, uh, fungus disease that gets into the tree. Uh, if you cut, cut a limb, you can. If there's a brown stain, sort of thing, cl- close to the bark piece, it's generally an indication that that, that is affected by uh, verticillium wilt. The other one, of course, is g- gamosis. Generally, with gamosis, which certainly apricots are subject to, you, you get a, 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 a bleeding or the the sap coming out of the out of the tree and and, and you you see that but, but but both of them all about all you can do is cut back to you know good sound wood and even with this verticillium wilt thing if you cut back and you still see the stain there you've got to go back a bit a bit further on on, on the limb uh, I, I just she, she said that it's been going on for a long time and she's been coming year after year after take more and more limbs of it might be getting to the stage where it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a losing <laughs> battle yeah, 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 yeah. true yeah. and uh, you know plenty of and even I think with old apricot trees sometimes they, they lose their propensity to, to, to give very much fruit and so uh, you know get yourself an, uh, another apricot tree I always say more, more, more park is a very mm. very good one it's probably the best the best fl- for flavoured one yep. of, of all the apricots yeah. and uh Start again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, well, it's probably time to go to our first caller, Karen in West Footscray. Good morning, Karen. Good morning, everyone. Karen. Um, 
Hey, Graham. How are you, love? Question for you. Um, I want to know, is it possible to graft a peach to an apricot? Ooh, Karen, now, now you're pushing me a bit there. <laughs> you can certainly put an apricot on a peach. I think you can do it the other way. Gee, yeah, I, next door neighbours have got this yeah. fabulous peach, and um, yes. and we haven't got room for another peach, but uh, no, I thought right. the, our apricot, yes. it's possible to graft it to it. Yeah, T- time now for budding. You know, you can make a tea, tea incision in the uh, in, 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 your, in your tree that you want to uh, gra- graft onto. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you put a bud in there, there, leave, leave it for about three, three or four weeks, and if it still still looks sound, sound as though it's you know healthy, okay. chop the top off the the small 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 limb, and it should shoot out on you. But I suppose it's you, you could try that one. I think there's, there's some. Do you, do you know Tim? There's some one, ones of those that are, are incompatible. Yeah. But I, I I I know for sure that you know you can put apricot on peach, but with the other way yeah. around, I'm not dead sure. And you can put apricot on almond too because a lot of the okay. rootstocks the nemigard yeah. is the rootstock that's, oh, okay, that's okay. yes yes um, yes yes okay. but i don't know the other way sorry so i can't yeah, give a definitive yeah, answer yeah, whether you can okay, do a okay, peach sure, on sure, apricot sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. karen you'll have to try it and let us know how you go yeah that's true I'll give it a go I'll the, just, you the, know, the other thing the other thing if you rang up uh uh uh, golly, come on, Graham. I suppose Fle- for Flemings, but the, if you got a, a chap called Orman up up there, he he knows his stuff very 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 well. And oh, Orman Nurseries in Donvale. Yeah, that's right. Sure. Yeah. Uh, no, not but they're, they're a little bit of a different branch. The Orman Nursery, they wouldn't have the, the expertise there. But uh, uh, what's the what's the other the, the other nursery uh, in in Monbolt? JFT, thanks, thanks, Tim. And he would know if you could get on to Mr. Murray there. I think it is Murray. Yeah. Uh, JFT would be your best sort there, Karen. How are things, how are things going? You were ca- calling on me to, to prune your fruit trees in your school there, and I sent out Mr. Orman, and, and, and he helps you there with that lot. Uh, he did a great job. Yeah, yeah. lovely guy. Yeah. Oh, sorry, he's just not as good as the master. No. <laughs> 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 I think so much. I'm, 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 I'm blushing. <laughs> No, we really miss you, but uh, it's nice to hear you on, and it was, uh, I was a bit excited yeah. this morning when I did hear that you were on and thought, yeah. well, I've got to bring yeah. up and ask you this Good on, good on you, Karen. Thank I you. I put on lunch, and you can come over and have a look at this. Hey, that yeah. sounds, sounds like a good <laughs> idea. Take care of yourself. Thanks, good on you, Karen. Bye. Bye. Karen does a great job out at that Footscray uh, School out there, where she encouraged such a lot of uh, fruit, fruit fruit trees, which is my game, of course, and got quite quite an extensive orchard there. And great for the kids. So he's been over there quite a few times. You get out there and you you, you, you talk to them and give them some secretaries and talk talk them through pruning and the fruit trees. And she does a great job. And so, Graham, I mentioned you you were saying it's it's time now for for any sort of yeah for bud budding for sure yes good 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 thought ab as I have a few citrus trees in my place, as you could imagine. I, I think of the last count, I've got a four, 45 different uh, fruit trees and ber- berry trees in, in my place. I've only got a reasonably sm- small garden. But uh, I've just been in the throes of, uh, uh, you know, I 
when my father was alive, he had a, a citrus tree where he'd budded. I think he had seven different varieties of citrus on the one tree. And I had a, I put, put in the emperor mandarin, and uh, a little bit disappointed in that one. They tend to go very woody uh, early, where an imperial is a lot better one. So I've been budding this tree over to quite a few different things, like I put a Washington naval orange and certainly imperial mandarin on that. And just a t- 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 tea bud, make a, a, a tea insertion, yep. get, a, get, get a, a bud from the the tree that you want, want, want to put on there, give it, like I was saying, about three or four weeks, chop, chop, chop the top off, let, let, let him shoot out and just, just, just take a bit of care. You make it it's sound a, so it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all you do. Yeah. yeah, it's all you do. <laughs> all right, on the line now is Robert from Phillip Island. Good morning, Robert. Oh, good morning. How's everyone going? Very, Very well. well. Oh, beautiful morning here. Oh, yes. We uh, had a little wee bit of rain a couple of days ago, but it uh, looks as though it's going to be a bit dry. Mm. They predict a little, but sometimes you're just not sure when they predict a little whether it's going to grow or not. The, uh, what I was going to ask you, um, boys, the vegetable garden, uh, now what would you say about beans going in, peas? Was yep. it a bit late, do you think, for peas? Well, it's interesting. We, well, beans bang on target. Target Now is the yeah. time. Direct so easy. Yeah. One of the easiest crops to grow. If right. you've got your vegetable garden well prepared, you just effectively poke the bean seed in. Yes. In fact, what I do with bean seeds um, to, to make germination a bit more straightforward is I'll usually get the beans and soak them in a jar of water for 10 or 20 minutes before right. I sow them. That just helps the, the seed to imbibe and yeah. gives it a kickstart. But really it's just a process of poking them into the ground and then keeping the, the, um, the soil moist. With beans, there are dwarf beans and there are climbing yes. beans. So if you a climbing bean, you want to have some sort of trellis for them to grow up. Even the dwarf ones need some sort, of, um, yeah. some sort of support. Do you find to the uh, silver beet, you, I have to keep replanting, it goes to seed sometimes yeah. quickly silver beet well it's a it's a biennial um so it will go to seed in its second year in its natural cycle uh look if, if it's bolting off to seed earlier than that it's probably undergoing some sort of stress which was which is most well it depends on the soil if you're in a really sandy soil what, what's your soil like there in uh, Phillip island i use a huge amount uh, I, I know the uh, puritans out there will disagree with me but i use a huge amount of grass cuttings Okay. I, I I professionally mowed lawns for years, and I got to know grass. And I don't see uh, lawn clippings as the green-eyed monster. I, I know people say oh, I put it on thinly. I put it on very thick. Yeah. I find that it creates uh, a good warmth. I put, then put it on very thick. Then over top of that, I put some. I usually rake up uh, mulch and that from under old fruit trees, put a couple of inches over that, then I plant my vegetables and I find that the grass gives a heat yep. and things take off. I, I, and I, I don't, and that theory that uh, it all cakes up and the rain doesn't get through, and I, I haven't found that to be uh, quite factual. Well, what in effect you're doing there is really a, a lasagna or no-dig compost yes. system and, yes. and look grass clippings are beautiful source of nitrogen of green lush green material that's that's nitrogen that's bro- the, the danger with grass clippings is that that heat and the sort of the slime you get when they when they first mm. break down in that first sort of that first fast phase mm. can be a bit much but the way you're managing it and i use grass clippings in my compost quite a lot it's a terrific source of, of, of nitrogen um yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's about how you manage it yeah, yes yes i, I I even used to I put some in a, a bin, 
and uh, that's uh, fill it up with grass clipping, so it it, it becomes actually a silage. Yes. And yeah. then I, I dig it, I pick it out. It's sometimes about eight inches wide by about six inches deep, so it's it's quite silage. Mm-hmm. I put that down, and then I put my uh, bits of compost over top of that. But I I find if anything that that when it does rain, it it's, acts as a good sponge. But that's just my theory. Other people don't agree with putting much green grass down. The, the other thing I was going to... Uh, how do you find the difference between, say, you grow uh, a cucumber seed at home, tomato seed, pea seed and such? How do you find the difference between the seedlings that you buy now? Do you think they produce a better seedling now than they used to, say, 10 years ago? In other words... How do you find seedlings from the nursery, vegetable seedlings, compared with the seedlings you grow yourself? Oh, I think um, I think that's a really variable thing. I think, um, look, we, we do both at Diggers. Yes. We, we sell seed and we sell seedlings, and our seedlings come from our seed. So uh, the I guess it's they're exactly the same genetically. They're the same yeah. plant, uh, the same variety. We will do all the same varieties that we do from seed. We do as seedlings. Uh, it's really about a timing thing and about, I guess, convenience. In some ways, we're finding that there's people are much, much less confident with seed these mm. days. Yeah. Uh, and I think a generation ago, people were very confident with seed. Yeah. True, true. Uh, and these mm. days, people are far less confident, yeah. um, which is why a, a seed like the bean or the pea that you were talking about before are so easy. Uh, and, and this is something that we're trying to encourage people is to sow those easy ones, which are direct sow. But the, the varieties that we grow from seedlings, and let's use tomatoes as a good example, um, it's, you're basically catching up, I guess, a four- to six-week um, window, perhaps a bit less at this time yeah. of the year, um, going from you know, planting a seedling as opposed to a seed. In terms of quality, I think what, what you want to look for is, uh, is age. And uh, you know, often in, in garden centres or in, in the box stores, there'll be a weekly delivery of seedlings and they'll be in pretty good condition. But if they don't sell in the next couple of weeks, they yeah. can lose condition. Yeah. Uh, and, but I don't, I don't fundamentally think there's a, a, a big difference no. between seed grown and seedlings no. or seedlings now from what it was 10 years no, ago. Thank you. Oh, I, I think if, if I can butt in there, I think the one thing that, that I always found, but diggers, uh, congratulations to them, is starting to... Um, are starting to narrow the gap is that at one stage you could never get seedling form of any of your your um, uh, your heirloom vegetables, mm. which is why mm. I always mm. planted <coughs> seeds yeah, because yeah. you just couldn't get those, those yeah, varieties. Yeah. But but diggers are now actually producing yeah. some of their heirloom uh, yeah. seeds, sowing them on as seedlings, and I think this is just. Fantastic for the home gardener. Yes. Oh, is that you, Pam? Yes, it oh, is. Oh, look, Robert, do you, look, do you want a quick report on the rabbiting? Yes, I'm, tell me. Look, I'm sure everybody's interested in my ferret and chasing rabbits, but <laughs> I, I went out last week and I found an, oh, a nice big warren. I put about 12 nets down, in went Mr. Ferret. Next thing, five big rabbits Whoa. came. Oh, look, I missed the you first You struck two. gold. Oh, broke my heart. Look, I missed the first two. Right. Like a trout fisherman catching a trout and then missing him. Then three more popped out, and I got them. Oh, well there done. So I came home with uh, four nice rabbits. Rabbits, too. So I uh, cleaned them up, and I, 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 gave, I, I gave three away to uh, people who hadn't had a rabbit for years. So one lady was going to have curried rabbit, and another one braised hers. So I had a very good day, 
and I've got a couple of burrows to do next week, so with a bit of luck, and if the ferret works well, I shall be the proud owner of half a dozen rabbits. Well, you're doing a wonderful service to the community getting rid of some of those rotten rabbits. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, bye. To Tim, just before we go on, I think you hit the nail on the head with seed. People are just a little bit reluctant because they haven't got the information, they haven't had the experience. What sort of advice could you give to people if they're going to grow, say, I don't know, bok choy or you know, a capsicum, so that they can you know be successful? My first bit of advice, I think, for people who are starting out growing seeds is, is as I said before, to pick an easy crop to grow. So you you gain confidence straight away. So and and beans are the best example. You'll get success. And, and that sort of success engenders success. Yeah, you, yeah. So all of those crops which are direct, so easy things, and you can do it with lettuce too, even though yeah, it's a fine God, seed. Yeah, sure. um, I find that um, if you've got well-prepared ground, so and, and that's a whole other subject, but if, yeah. if, you've, if you've developed a bit of good garden soil in a good spot mm-hmm. for a vegetable garden, uh, you can get hold of a bean seed, just poke it in, as I said before. You can get some lettuce seed. Um, which is quite a fine seed, uh, and a handy little tip on this, which is, which has been getting around the trade forever, is put a bit of uh, sugar or or uh, a carrier in in a jar with some seeds. So so you get a jar, small jar, drill a hole in the lid, uh, about the size of a I was going to say a one cent piece. I suppose everyone knows. Well, the younger viewers may not know what a one cent. My kids don't know what a one cent piece looks like. Five cent piece, yeah, a bit smaller than a five cent piece. Uh, uh, Put some put some sugar, um, you know, a couple of teaspoons of sugar. Yeah, mix the seed with yeah, that. Yeah, give it a good shake, and then you can create a drill. You sort of yes, drill it out. Yeah, yeah, it just sort of yeah, yeah, drifts yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, pour yeah, it out, yeah, yeah, and then you just water yeah, that. Yeah. The essential thing for getting seed to establish well when it's direct sown is that it's it's kept well hydrated for the first yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, sure. uh, yeah, the, yeah. You will guarantee to be failing yeah, if you water it once, walk away, and come back in yeah, three days. Okay, yeah, sure. It's got to be kept moist. Yeah, what yeah. I do with, with my direct sown seed, like lettuce, for instance, is I'll get a strip of hessian or shade cloth, yes, yeah, uh, and I put sure. it over the top yeah, so sure. that that sun, direct sun yeah. doesn't hit the seed, yeah, sure. uh, and that, yeah, yeah. that just gives you a bit more time yes, you know, yeah, for sure. it to dry yeah, out yeah, to, yeah, just yeah, to protect yeah, yeah, it yeah. for those couple of when, days. When, when you're watering to a, a fine nozzle rather than a coarse nozzle I think yes. you know you can stir things up too much with a, with, yeah. a, with, with heavy water my old dad with, with carrot, carrot seed I remember and parsnips he would, he would direct seed seed and he'd put a piece of uh, wood like a piece of paling from a fence yep. on the top of that sort of thing yep. keeps the moisture there Same maybe a, just yep. a, f- a few days and then get, yeah. maybe sees, sees a little bit of life coming you t- take it off and away they go because the that most important way. time is that when the, the seed is about to take off it's going yes. from dormancy it's the Sleep. Sure. The water and the warmth and uh, its yeah. environment are what tricks it into yeah, germination. Sure. Okay. If yes. if it gets off to a head start or a first start and then has a falter by drying out, yeah. it's sure. dead. Yeah. It's gone. Okay. So yeah, sure. those yeah. first days are critical. Very good. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and I think for for crops like um, tomatoes, capsicums, and these things that re, that are not a direct so, um, some. No, you're getting the right environment and getting a little bit of equipment to help. Yeah. Seed raising mixes. Seed raising mix, a little hothouse. Uh, yeah, look, sure. there are plenty of, yeah, there's yeah. plenty of instructions on our website yeah, yeah, on how sure. to do this. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, and, mm. and look, it is, it is a real sense of satisfaction to it's raise right. something yeah, from right. seed. Yeah, it right. is yeah, really yeah, quite yeah, a, yeah, a, yeah, a buzz yeah, that you can yeah. And I think the other thing also with seed versus seedling is when you grow from seed, the plant right from the beginning is growing to your conditions. Whereas if you are 
going off to a nursery, you know, might not be a local nursery, bringing it home, slightly different conditions, different temperature, you know, different wind coming through, all those little things which, um, you know, might not mean too much to us, but to a plant germinating, they certainly do. And, yeah, if you're growing from seed, yeah. Definitely true for direct sown things. I think one of the, uh, the travesties in the industry is I see carrots in punnets. They, yeah, you know, things yeah. like these should yeah. not be grown as true, seedlings. True. They, they should, don't transplant well they, at all. Of course they don't. They're a root crop. Yes. So anything that's a root crop should be directly sown so that it can establish its root system as it would normally. If it has to go through any form of transplant shock, you're going to get deformed, misshapen, and and probably not that good quality uh, a crop. So, so there are certain crops which must be direct sown and you can only grow from seed. Mm. Well, we should go to Viv now in Mount Martha. Good morning, Viv. Oh, good morning. Um, thanks for your program. It's wonderful, everybody. Great. Um, uh, just a question for Graham about um, uh, the label, I think, said Australian lime. Um, it's sure. been struggling a bit. I'm in a sandy area, but I like to think that I feed enough. But sure. the, the leaves this year have developed. Um, they start off green and then they've got a creeping yellow. It looks like it's reverting to a variegated leaf, but mm. it isn't. Mm. Well, I don't think it is. And yeah. I just wondered if you had any ideas what that yeah, might be. Yeah, yeah. Have you got it in a pot, Bev, or in the ground? No, I've got it in the ground now. Yes. Um, now, I have to confess, it isn't in a clear spot. I'm a bit I'm a bit random with my fruit trees. I've yeah. got more park and fig, and they all seem to be doing well, but they are sort of intermixed with my indigenous plants. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so yes, it yeah. possibly may not like no. that. Sun, sunshine, sunshine, okay. Has it got plenty yes, of light? Yes, yep. Gets good morning yeah, sun, um, yeah. and probably yeah. till about two, two thirty. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just a, a straight yellowing on the uh, on the citrus. It's usually a, uh, a deficiency of nit- n- nitrogen. Nitrogen, yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, you can generally pick that up. I think it's translocative in the in the pl- plant, so that the, the, the mm. tips will tend to be more. Apart pale and the rest of the the, 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 the leaves. Right. Uh, is that the way it goes or it goes the other way around? Am I it sort of right? creeps but, from... Uh, it sort of, the yellowing is creeping from the edge of the leaf. Yeah, I see. Yeah, I got To it. the inside yeah. and it looks a bit sort of lacy. Mm. So I you thought you know what, what I would do? I'd, I'd get some s- s- seaweed solution, a yeah. <laughs> benefit of I mean, a Yes, uh, elixir for everything on the face of the earth, I suppose. Yes, but, well, I agree, and I, I, but maybe yeah. I just haven't been giving it enough. And no, I also no, no, give sure. them a, a couple of feeds of lucerne hay. Yeah, the okay, other thing, Viv, okay. you could add some uh, rock dust, some rock minerals. That, okay. That's always yeah, sure. good. Too, yeah, it for sounds a little okay. bit like a trace element there, yeah, doesn't it? Really? Yeah. 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 And the other thing is, you know, all the citrus just love to chick them, and you, as you know, we used to grow many, many yes. lemon trees, and we had big orchards in Don, yes. and Doncaster, I and, them. and we fed mm. them all. On chicken manure, that's about all we gave them in the in the in the, the in the, for our soil type. There, it okay. really, really did work so well. They they, they they love nitrogen. Their feeders of nit- nitrogen. All right, yeah. lovely because it is very nitrogen poor around here. Yeah, so okay. sure. I do have to give them that. Well, oh, that's yep. great because yeah. I've got a friend with chook, so I'll go and rob hey, them. There you go, Bev. <laughs> Good source. Oh, thank you yeah. very much. Okay, Bev. Bye bye. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop and with me in the studio are Pam Vardy, Tim Sansom from Diggers and Graham Morrison. We are running through until 9.15 this morning, but if you need to head out, you can download the show later by going to www.3cr.org 
forward slash podcasts. But right now, if you want to, if you've got a gardening question, please feel free to give us a call. Our number is 94190155 or to speak to Liz on the outside line, 94198377. Tim, we have to get some to some of the uh, amazing plants that you've brought in. What, what have you got there? Well, it's quite topical because I've brought in some seedlings <laughs> as it happens. Mm. Uh, and it's interesting, you know, talking about formats of seedlings and, you know, seeds versus seed. You know, a couple of weekends next weekend, and this is the 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 traditional time for us to be planting our tomatoes um, or, or our summer crops, really. So I've I've brought in a couple of things here, um, which I wanted to talk about. I mean, it's it's a bit hard to describe my first one on radio because it's um, it's it's a bit of an interesting package. But as you know, Diggers does mail order, and we mail order to most parts of Australia. Uh, and mail ordering seedlings is a bit of a challenge, so. We've investigated uh, a little package that it's called, a, we're calling them speedings. Uh, it's a five pack of, of plug seedlings, all of them which are about two inches tall, uh, in, a, in a little blister pack. Uh, and this is a format that we're using for our, our mail order delivery uh, so that we can get all these interesting varieties of, of heirloom tomatoes, capsicums. We, have, we also have some flower varieties that we're doing through this, some annual flower varieties. Um, it's something that we've been doing this spring, and I think it's something that uh, we'll continue to do in this format in, in various in various guises over the years to come. Uh, so it's effectively like a punnet in the mail order. Um, so it's a it's a clam pack that has five plugs in it. And the plugs are like little um, uh, root balls of soil uh, with a small seedling plant, uh, and we're selling them as as individual varieties, or in this case, as the one I brought in here, it's a salad mix collection. So for for ten bucks, you get five different varieties. Uh, in this case, we've got a black Russian tomato, a green zebra tomato, a Jean Flom, a Tommy Toe, and a golden peach. So we've <laughs> we've gone through and our roster and selected which are the ones that we wanted to put together. Uh, so that's something if people want to check out, they can have a look on our website and have a have a look under seedlings. I think the pack is fantastic, Tim, because. Um the seedlings are fully enclosed, which means they're not going to dry out as quickly um, and they're totally protected. They're not going to get... I mean, even if that's tipped upside down in the post, it's not which going to happens. do any damage yes. at all. It's fantastic. So yeah. great idea. Yeah, and we also still do our, our larger format size, which is a, what we call our midi tube, which is, a, I guess it's a small squat tube, um, which we also sell through our, our, garden, our garden shops. Uh, and is also available through our mail order. So, you know, we're right now at our peak stock of all this material. You know, we've, we've got, uh, I think we've got about 30 different varieties of tomatoes uh, available through our stores. Mm. Uh, you know, varieties, some of the varieties, like a couple of interesting ones, with Tommy Toe, which is our, our I guess, our staple, which has been our, uh, our, our benchmark yep. Yep. Uh, Well, it kept for years, years and kept winning the taste yeah. test competition, it did. didn't yeah. it? <laughs> it did. and, and now I brought in here a couple of close competitors, which, right. are, which have come up on, in the last couple of years. There's a variety called Sunrise Bumblebee, uh, which is a, these are all open-pollinated varieties which have heirloom heritage. But Sunrise Bumblebee is actually a new selection, so if it can be a new heirloom, I suppose, is, is perhaps where it's going, if that's at all possible. Um, but it, it last year, Sunrise Bumblebee and, it, and, its, and its cousin, uh, sun, uh, a pink bumblebee. Pink bumblebee. Pink bumblebee. Yes. Uh, both did spectacularly well in our taste test last year. These are mm. sort of uh, mid-sized cherry tomatoes with a fleck through them, which is a yellow fleck through them, almost a golden fleck. If you, We found that when we were harvesting these off the bush last summer, uh, that the, 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 the sun would come through them almost. They're almost translucent in colour. So spectacular mm. colour, super sweet flavour, uh, and 
prolific in, in production as and well. very pretty on the plate. Oh, they're, they're like jewels. They are. On the plate. Beautiful. Yeah, so in the, and I guess I brought these in because these are the sorts of varieties that we're, we're um, uh, providing for people, which you just won't find in other places. Uh, they're, they're, we're, I guess, always trialling new varieties. Every year we have a massive trial garden of all our, all, all, all sorts of things, but tomatoes are a linchpin of that. And these are some of the successes that have come out of that. The other one I brought in was one called we call red and black. Uh, it's um, also known as indigo apple, and it um, uh, it it is a blue tomato. It's yeah. blue in its in its in its when it's when it's first coming out. Uh, this this is one of a series of tomatoes that that uh, came out of the breeding of the Oregon State University, where they had a variety called indigo rose, uh, which is they're really high in antioxidants. This anthocyanin. These are this is part of this superfood movement. Yeah. Uh, and this this red and black form has. Well, this, the, even when it ripens up, the shoulder is quite dark, almost black, but you slice it open and it's rich red in the middle. Mm. Fantastic. Well, it sounds like a, a, a rainbow of, ro- of uh, tomatoes yeah. are available. Yes, absolutely. All right, time to go to our next caller, Anna Incobo. Good morning, Anna. Oh, good morning. Thank you for your fabulous program. I tune in every Sunday morning. Lovely. Could I ask that rabbit man to stop ringing in, please? <laughs> okay. We just do not want to know what he kills on his property. He sounds like a like a sadist to me. Uh, well, he let, can just keep it to himself. The whole reason for listening to you is to get away from the main media that indulges in nothing else but horrible killing stories. They kill everything in sight. Well, I guess I, we they are a bit of a pest. Him to keep his rabbit stews to himself <laughs> and let us listen to a delightful program without having to without him having to spoil. Everything. Oh, well, good Thank on you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Anna. Okay. Bye. Uh, well, uh, I guess, I mean, rabbits are a, a really big pest, aren't they? So I, I actually, um, I, I think good on Robert for, for netting them and, and killing them that way rather than killing mm. them with poison, which, you know, would take 14 days. Um, yeah, so. Oh, um, look, I, have, I actually have no issue with him eating his rabbits. I, it's a sustainable food source. Yeah, it's a yeah. waste product otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's now go to Frank in Craigieburn. Good morning, Frank. Oh, hello, are you there? Frank's gone for a cup of tea, I think. Frank, it. Oh, okay. Let's try again. Right. Are you there, Frank? Yeah, there we go. Hello. Oh, sorry about this. All right, well, let's try Sue in Kensington. Are you there, Sue? Ah, nobody's there at the moment. Oh. I think I heard a little bit of Frank there, whether it just, it didn't mention a noise. Oh, yeah, I did hear, hear him for a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, Graham, just wondering, what have uh, you got a little <coughs> container there? I'm just wondering. Oh, yes, 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 yes. What you brought I was in thinking I've got a bad habit of going back about five conversations. That, uh, I was thinking with the seed growing that uh, uh, Tim was saying there's a reward in growing a seed. And I always think of young kids at school, you know, we, we get put a few. Uh, wheat seeds and a bit of cotton wool on a thing and to see that miracle from a little rough piece of nothing to, to, to you know, the, it has the potential there to grow into a, a, a usual plant. It's a miracle that you know, we probably take for granted you get blasé about all the stuff but you know, to think that all the genetic coding is in that little thing to, to develop the characteristics of our plants it's a, it's a miracle beyond belief really. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, sure. Whenever you look at any any um, 
um, fruit or vegetable that you've got yeah, and you see the sure. symmetry and everything of them. Oh, it's yeah, it's yeah, quite yeah, insane, sure, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, if you've yeah, ever looked at the yeah, fractal pattern in a Romanesco broccoli, yeah, it's, it's yeah, like yeah, mathematics yeah, in front yeah, of you. Yeah, it's right, yeah, sure, absolutely yeah. stunning. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was looking at a Monsterio Deliciosa, the, 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 the fruit of mm. it, you know, and the outside skin is just a, a myriad of... Hexagonal yes. pieces, aren't they? That, like yes. in in the honeycomb of a, yes. uh, of a thing, that they, they fit into one another. It's just you know, the, the things that, that come out yeah. of things are unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we're going to try the phones again once more. <laughs> is uh, that Marjorie and Hawthorne? It is. Oh, good morning, Marjorie. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine, thank you. I'm sorry you're having such trouble with your phone. Oh no, that was totally my fault. I was <laughs> calling the wrong people through. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I have a, a question uh, for, for Graham about a burr bosk pear. Yes. Um, it, it's about four or five years old and not one sign of a flower in comparison with a William pear I've got that flowered straight away. Hmm. Um, and I'm wondering whether that's usual, but the other thing about it is that it's growing, shooting up right to the heavens, and yes. I don't know how much of that to cut off. Yeah. It's got all these great long things yeah, yes, that uh, yeah, I couldn't yeah, reach yeah, if it did have yeah, uh, yeah, fruit. Yeah. Uh, to coincide, to talk, talk about that, we in our commercial plantings, we planted two rows of burbos, and uh, uh, again, like you say, they just didn't settle settle down in, 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 into fruiting. Uh, for how long? And that, and that was good soil, and they were big, you know, they were big, big trees. I reckon it was four, four or five years, sort of thing. And then but they the, did. Just, I was, yeah, they, they, they did, but uh, under a, 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 a cultural thing, we, we, we left them without a, a pruning for a, for a whole year. Yeah. You know, and and it seems though if you prune, you know, it encourages vegetative growth, and off it shoots again, and you get big, big bigger, and you know, yeah. uh, h- higher and un- un- more unmanageable t- tree, I suppose. But I, if, my advice would be ne- next winter, don't touch it at all. Just mm. to, to just le- leave it as is. Even though it's, it's yeah. so tall. Yeah, well, I know that's that's hard. But I mm. think well, if you leave it like that, it'll it, it, it'll it'll flower for sure. You get, uh, and the other thing is if you can possibly we get some of those tall uh, branches or limbs and pull them down into a horizontal plane. Well, one of yeah, the problems yeah. about that is not actually in Hawthorne, where I, mm. I live part-time. Sure. It's in South Gippsland. Right. And if the branches are low, the kangaroos and wallabies mm. just, they pull them down. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah. They'll go for the fruit mm. too when they oh. use <laughs> the, 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 the winter fruit. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, 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 with the other yeah, trees yeah, I've yeah, got, yeah. all the lower mm. branches have been chewed. What would you say in that circumstance for a summer pruning? Yeah, sure. Summer pruning is is, is done you know regularly in orchards today, and it's it, it, it's a good idea. Uh, you know, particularly on long water shoot things. You yes. know, the the, the gr- 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 growing. You yeah. know, you can, can come back a, th- a third on those. That's that, that's that's going to be a help for sure. Because again, you know, something that's going up to the heavens. If you you, you t- take the top out of it, you get a bit of branching, and they're more more likely to be in the horizontal plane. There's a uh, geotropic thing with uh, horizontal wood will certainly flower a lot, 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 lot quick, quicker than, than a ver- vertical wood even with that stuff you know, up, up the top if you, can, you don't have to bring it down to the ground but if you can bend it over a little bit uh, I should. the other thing is you're probably on pretty good soil there but uh, or I'd lay off the, the fertiliser 
excuse me, uh, uh, if you put a whole lot of nitrogen fertiliser, they stay more in the vegetative state. When but, you say uh, laid off, do you mean not 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 no, not, 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 not don't, 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 yeah. don't, don't, don't give in in, in it no, all. None, sure, none, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Try, try it like that, none, Marjorie. Yeah, none. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I hope you get some good fruit out of it. All right, uh, and, and if. Will they, is there a limit to how tall it will grow? Will they just go on growing up if I don't? Well, you get, get a pretty big tree out of a pear, pear if it's particularly on, on on good soil. You know, it'll, yeah. it'll it'll go up probably. What have we got? Uh, uh, almost to ten meters in the extreme. Mm. Mm. I see. Yeah. Well, I'll just have to leave it to do what it's going to do then. Yeah. Well, I, I, don't think, I don't think it would hurt Marjorie to give it a summer prune. You know, to, to some of those water shoots that have come up from the winter, just take the top third out uh, and it'll respond in the summertime and then you don't have to do the prune in the wintertime. Yeah, I haven't pruned it much at all because, it, you know, it was young. It's hardly had any pruning anyway. Yeah. Really. The other way, you know, if you, you get a you know a, a ladder, don't um, hurt yourself, but and you, you get a, a piece of string or wire onto some of those limbs and just bring them down, bring them over into a horizontal, yeah. horizontal plane. Yeah. Right. You'd be I'll surprised how much that works. Yeah. In, in, indeed, in our orchard days, we would uh, with apple, young apple trees, we would get laterals that had grown and we would intertwine them, bring them, bring them one lateral from one side to the other side, and you know wrap them. Around one another, so that they had horizontal wood, and lo and behold, you know, that, 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 those laterals would flower because they were in a horizontal line. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Isn't it? All right. Well, look, I'll try some of that, that then. Thank yes. you very much. Couldn't for imagine. Your help. Thank right. you. Thanks, well, Marjorie. Bye. bye for now. Bye. All right, and let's go straight to Sue in Kensington. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. Um, thanks to diggers very much for I planted my tomatoes. Oh, wonderful! Well came, done. They came in the package. <laughs> I've also got a finger lime. And I'm wondering, it's very small, do I put it straight in the ground or can I put it in a pot to begin with? Okay, so is that finger lime one you got from us? Yes. Uh, is it a named variety? Was it, was it, or was it, it just called... It was a cutting. Okay, so it's just a because we have a couple of them, uh, and yeah. there's an important point to note here. Yeah. Uh, we're doing we're doing a, a straight green variety called finger lime, mm-hmm. which is actually growing on its own roots, so it doesn't have a root stock, so it's a cutting. Mm-hmm. We also have some which are grafted onto root stocks, and we have a variety called Alstonville and Jarley Red, and some of these. These are a bit more expensive because they're grafted. Yeah, yeah, I think it was the cheaper one. Okay, so the grafted ones mm-hmm. are fine to go in the ground because they have the root stock to protect them from phytophthora and soil-borne diseases. Yeah. The and we say this in in our catalogues is that the 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 finger lime which is grown on its own roots is best grown in a pot. Okay, and stay in a pot. Yes, and stay in a pot for its life because it doesn't have and, and this is this is a bit of a, an issue that's going on with citrus production in Australia for the for the garden market is there are increasing numbers of citrus varieties hitting the marketplace which are growing on their own roots not on a rootstock, uh, which is fine in when they're growing in soilless potting media or they're growing in a pot. But as soon as they hit the ground, they're in danger of uh, being infected by phytophthora, which will kill them. Uh, and there are various other soil-borne diseases which rootstocks will, pr- will protect against. Uh, so be careful out there when you're buying citrus to always look for something that's got a graft. If it doesn't have a graft, then a, a, con- a container will be fine. So grow it in a pot yes. and you don't have the problem where you might have the infection from, from soil-borne diseases. So with yours, I would be saying, and we do this with ours, I would be growing it in a pot. Uh, and, and they love it in the container. They will produce plenty of fruit. Yep. Uh, in fact, most of the stock that we have available, and yours is a progeny of this, came from one original plant that we, that we grow in a container, uh, and it, has, it produced much 
a, a big quantity of fruit, mm-hmm. and has also been lots of. Um, uh, does uh, it has lots of. Um, it has lots of fruit uh, bearing wood that, that we can take cuttings from as well. Can I put it straight into a big pot, or do I put, need to put it into a medium-sized one to begin with? That's an interesting question. That I, this is one that rattles around a bit. Is one of our guys at, at Diggers, Jamie, often says, if you put a small plant into a big pond, a big pot, it's like putting a pea in a pond, and it doesn't doesn't grow as well. Uh, so I think there is something in that. I think the container size, you want to step it up as, time, as, it, as it matures. So currently it's in a, I think it's in a 90 mil um, olive pot, so a square, like a six inch pot. Yep. I would go up to a 10 or 12 inch pot, something oh, of great. that size. Uh, it's, it'll establish well in that. And then beyond that, you can then pot it up again as it gets bigger. Good. Thank you very much. Mm. Good on you, Sue. Thank you. So there's Hi. been a, a query, Tim, as to why does the grafted okay. rootstock protect? Because rootstocks, and, there's, and there's, this is, there's lots and lots of science around the rootstock of, of all sorts of varieties, but citrus in particular. Um, there are the rootstock varieties that are used, uh, they're usually uh, uh, trifoliata, which is a, a sort of a semi-dwarfing rootstock, so it's actually a deciduous thing. Uh, and there's also Troia citrange, or citrange is the rootstock. Both of those are, they're not, they're actually a different species in a different genus to the normal citrus that, that, we, that we know as the, the varieties. And there are characteristics within those particular plants that have resistance to phytophthora. Okay. <laughs> so it's, it's the characteristic of the plant that yes. you're grafting onto yes. that is resistant, whereas the, the, the varieties don't have that. Right. And you're protecting them against root-borne root, 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 root mm. fungus diseases mm. sort of thing. So it's important that the, that the, the roots of the plant are the ones that have got the protection. Yep. Yeah, and just the difference there, like a trifoliata plant, it, it's a deciduous thing, mm. sort of thing. It, there, you you know, it's it's quite dif- different to uh, the general citrus. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, think along. I mean, there's so many more varieties available now, aren't there? There's, I know, Pam, yeah. you've got I've got two different varieties. Crops mm. Yes, coming off yours, haven't yes, you? Yes, I have. Yes, last mm. year was just incredible, and mm. I see mine's already just covered in flowers at the moment. Yeah. So, um, and they are prolific, as I say. Once very they get prolific. Going, very prolific. Yeah. Very prolific. I don't know if you've tried the trick of, you know, when you slice it open and get the little vesicles, drop it in a glass of bubbly and watch them dance around in your oh, oh, really? really? <laughs> There's a pink variety, which, which obviously works with one picture. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. So do you do anything special with yours in the pots? Not at all. Yep. They're not, not particularly all. fussy. No, no, they're not fussy. No. And the other beauty of, of them is that, that they're growing, they're not in full sun. Mm. Um, they're growing in, in almost a dappled light. They get yep. morning sun, but they're not getting that harsh afternoon sun. Mm. And I think that helps as well, particularly because I've got them in pots. Yes. So yes. I'm not yeah, running as much up. risk of yeah. drying out. And yeah. Yes. Yeah, sure. It's true. Yeah. 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 I mean, they, but they are they're a subtropical plant, aren't they? Yeah. So they're yeah, a subtropical. So uh, I guess they're a mid strata in the forest. So they, that sort of conditions. They're still getting, under. Yeah. Under dappled sunshine. Dappled, yeah, exactly. I mean, look, ours. We've got them growing in open sun too, and they take it quite well. Okay. Uh, but I think the key to that is hydration. So yes. And, and this is often the case, I and mean, this is the same with the. The kiwi berries, the the um, the small fruiting uh, actinidias, that they don't like hot sun. They don't like a westerly sun. Mm. But if you keep them well hydrated, they actually will thrive on that. Okay. Yeah, and they can. And we've got them growing as our stock plants in full open westerly sun. Right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Again, it's a nat- native plant, isn't it? Uh, uh, fing- the finger lime. They're microcitrus. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. microcitrus. Yep. Uh, I know they've been bred and hybridised with a, 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 a other citrus, but. Mm. Uh, it's another thing that fits in with George's book, I suppose. Yes, yeah. 
Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, just coming back to the um, potting up into, a, you know, the next size pot or a bigger pot, um, you know, of course, you know, as, as we know, that's, you know, just if the root system of the yes. plant isn't large enough to take up all the water that's in such mm. a big pot, then it's basically mm. going to be um, sitting in a, you know, a, a pond yeah. of cool t- t- soil, t- 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 mm. yes. um, which is yeah. not going to be yeah. beneficial for the roots. But I'm just thinking because I actually, after um, seeing the success that Pam had with her finger limes, I went out and purchased a couple and they weren't cheap either, I have to say. Um, if, if they're grafted, they're, they're not. Gr- no, right, okay, yeah. Because they're quite slow to establish on the on the graft. Right, but, yeah. but they're gorgeous. I've got a couple of specimens um, outside the glass house just at the entrance there yeah. and um, I've whacked them straight into big pots. But I think because I don't overwater them, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's yes. I just let it dry out a little bit in between waterings. Hopefully, yeah. you know, they, they're putting on new growth, so, yeah. so they must be going okay. Yeah, and I think, I mean, look, we think about what you're doing with planting a plant into a container. It's and and there's an important note here that everyone should be aware of that growing in a container you're grow, you're not growing in soil you're growing in a soilless potting media mm. which is designed to work in a container uh, so so because if you put your soil in a pot uh, it won't act the same way as it does out in the open ground so the the porosity and the nutrient levels that are in that are in uh, designed potting mix premium potting mix uh, is is right for growing in a container so. You're basically just creating a, the perfect environment, as perfect as possible, in a container, uh, in, a, in a pot. So whether it be close around it or whether it be a large, a large pot on a small plant, it's really about still creating the right conditions for the root ball that you've got. Mm-hmm. True, 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 yeah. And, and I guess it does depend on um, the hardiness of the plant as well. Yes, mm. yes, 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 yeah. that, that's true too, isn't it, my word? Mm-hmm. So, Graham, what, yeah. what, have, what else have you brought in there in your oh, little pot of goodies? Uh, Tim was talking about super, superfoods. I think I've mentioned this one before, but uh, uh, just uh, a few pods there from my chia plant. And if anybody wants to grow the chia, there's a little seeds there, yeah, sure. But they do give it a heck of a write-up these days, the healthiest food on the planet, some of the advertising blurb comes through. The Aztecs, of course, used it, and the as I said said before, a handful of chia seeds, and they could run and do their work all day on that sort of thing. So many good goodies in there. The essential fatty acids and all that. That's right, it's omega-3 fatty acids that... Good for your cardiovascular health, your brain, which, you know, that's why I'm getting into it sort of thing, you know, get, get, get a bit on the brain thing and, and, and your ner- nervous system. But I think uh, it's becoming quite a popular thing. The Baker's Delight got into it and they're, they're mm. putting it in their products these days. A chap uh, up in uh, Ord River is growing many, many hundred or, you know, many, many uh, tens of uh, acres of chia and getting an export market throughout the world. But quite, a, quite an interesting plant. Gets up to about to, to two metres tall, lovely blue flowers. It's one of, one of the salvias, mm. actually. It's a bit botanical name. And uh, I think, uh, you know, you've, you know, there's something about they make you feel 
feel full because you know the, the seeds actually swell swell up when they're they're moistened. Yeah. And it, it, uh, good 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 for dieting as well. You get, yeah. Although it's a small amount you're taking in, it's a, it's a it's a it's a filling feeling it provides. Well, if you put them yeah. in a, a glass of water, like if you put a teaspoon of them in a glass sure. of water yes, and yes. leave yeah. them for twenty minutes or so, they yeah. do become quite gelatinous. Yeah, gelatinous. Don't they? That's right. Gelatinous cake around the outside. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah now yeah. you you actually gave me a couple of seedlings last year. Oh, which yeah, went okay. Very well. Oh, they, I put Good them in a, a smidge <laughs> late, I think, because this yeah. although it had plenty of flowers, the seed. Yes. Heads yeah. they formed, but then the cold yeah. came in, so they didn't yeah, really okay. crisp up. Yeah, so right, I couldn't yeah, collect the seed from them. So I'm going to grab a handful yeah. of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good on you. <laughs> Get them going again. <laughs> Tim, um, I know we haven't got much time left in the program, but I have to ask you quickly. I see you've brought in a ginger oh, plant. Yes. Now, is that actually suitable for Melbourne climate? This is in- interesting ginger. This is not your normal ginger. Okay. It looks like your normal ginger, Super but it's does. actually not. This is actually uh, ginger myoga, the Japanese ginger, ah. uh, which is it is a subtropical, but it grows in Japan too, so, right. so it grows in quite cold conditions. Uh, and I brought this one in because it's one that we're listing at the moment in our catalogue, and it's not that well known. Uh, it's the difference with this. It's what well, it's known to, by Japanese, and it's, and it's used quite extensively in Japanese cuisine. You actually eat the flower bud for this one, yeah, yeah, and the flower bud emerges from the soil level. Right. So, and the flower buds are typically about an inch or so in size, mm-hmm. uh, and they're they're either sliced fresh or you can, or they're they're pickled. Uh, so it's it's a different form of ginger. Um, does but it have the flavour of a of a ginger? It has. It is somewhere between a ginger flavour and a kind of a pickled flavour, okay. without the sort of onion aftertaste. Right. If that's an odd description, I know. <laughs> but often Japanese things are quite odd in that respect, oh, yes. from a taste point of view. Um, look, it will grow here definitely. Yes, um, it grows from a, a, a rhizome, so it is in the ginger family. It is yes. a zinziba or zingiba. Um, and, in fact, most gingers will grow here too mm. in the right conditions. We don't get – well, it depends where you are. We don't get a lot of frost where we are. Uh, so they'll get knocked about a bit in the wintertime, but they'll come back in the summertime. We, we have at Herons with turmeric, ginger, galangal we don't do as well with, but we're under, under plastic you can do, you do okay with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some of these sort of uh, Asian exotic root crops are quite, uh, quite growable in, the, in yeah. our conditions around mm-hmm. here. Reasonable amount of water? Yeah, they're, yes. they're, they're not a one-drip. No, uh, I'd put them. No. I'd put them in the two drip category, yes. uh, possibly three drip if um, if we're not getting much rain. Right. Mm. Okay, and not for frosty areas. The, look, I think if, if if you're in heavy frosty areas, yep. they won't survive. If you get light frosts, they'll in, and they're well established. They'll mm. just knock back to the ground and they'll come again. Mm. Mm. Oh, oh, fantastic! Well, it's time now for us to go and practice what we've been preaching for the last two hours. So thanks to Rosemary and Liz for womaning the phones. Thanks to Tim, Graham, and Pam for sharing your horticultural stories and thanks to you the listeners for tuning into the 3CR gardening show my name is ab bishop and until 7 30 next week when i hope you join us again you've been listening to a 3cr podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3cr in melbourne australia for more information go to allthews.3cr.org.au